Welcome to Wild Quincy, a podcast that looks into the little-known and forgotten past of Quincy, Illinois. When it comes to the Civil War, the history books you read in high school covered all the big events. But how much have you heard about what happened in Quincy? In this episode, we cover everything you ever wanted to know about Quincy during the Civil War. That, coming up next... Now, here's your host, Chris Ketters and Travis Hoffman. Welcome back to season three of your favorite new podcast. It's still new, right, Travis? You know, it's a new season. It's a brand new me. It's a brand new you. Welcome back to Wild (laughs) Quincy, everyone. Welcome back. We hope you uh, didn't miss us too much. Uh, we had some good time off and was able to catch up on on real world scenarios. And now we're back into the fake world, I guess, of Wild Quincy. Does that sound right? It, it's a little, we'll say yes. Yeah. For sake of time, we have much to talk about on this episode. This episode is going to be a really good one. We're really excited about it. It kind of landed in our laps. And uh, we'll talk about that more in a little bit. But Travis, you know, we've been gone for a little bit, but uh, hasn't stopped things on the Patreon side. We got some new Patreon members. Yeah, we were happy to pick up a supporting a supporter. Uh, Billy Parrish joined us at the five dollar medium Jeff uh, special level. Sorry, been a, a little rust, <laughs> knocking the rust off here. Thank you very much, Billy. She was uh, he or she? I think I believe is a sheep. I do not know. It does not matter. We appreciate your support either way. They've been very active, liking some stuff on Patreon, so they're enjoying all the offerings that we have from basically an extra episode for everything you've heard on the free side. I was just telling a a student of mine that uh, he just got interested in Wild Quincy, and I was talking to him about it, and I was was like, oh, man, if you like that and you like us joking around, check out Patreon because we have a lot of fun. And if if you are a Patreon member, we had an episode during the offseason on there, uh, and it was like I was telling Travis before we started, it was probably one of the funniest ones I think we've had uh, in a while. So check that out if you haven't checked it out again i what there's probably like 30 there'd be probably 32 28 30 somewhere right in in that ballpark yeah it's it's funny have sometimes we'll have a strong idea of what we're going to talk about and sometimes we'll sit and look at each other thinking i don't know what we're going to talk about and those are the ones we usually go on for about an hour because we just randomly get on tangents (laughs) and it's usually a good time so we i remember cereal and bees being talked about in the last episode (laughs) so if that gives you any idea of the vast variety of things that we're doing uh, that'll give you a good idea uh, also, I wanted to mention too, guys, uh, this is the start of season three. I can't believe it. But with season three, we've mentioned this last season, we're making some changes this season. We're really excited about it. We have two new categories. Uh, we are now doing the what if category in the people category this season. Uh, I'm looking forward to this, Travis. I think we're gonna have some pretty interesting uh, people coming up this season. We are. We already have a few people booked. We're excited about the in, unleashing those people's names, as well as this whole what if category is going to be really interesting, Chris. We've had talked a little bit about it off mic, and it's going to be different than like our typical episode because we really are figuring out what if and the whole process yeah. of that. So it's going to be interesting. We're going all the way down the line, and it's not only just like asking the question, but we're showing you the process of how we're going to find out the answer to that question too yeah. so yeah i'm super excited about that but uh travis we got to get uh get back to the basics get back to what we know best and let's get back to the question of the day are you ready i'm ready it's i'm rusty i'm ready let's see what i can do here well i'm gonna make it really tough for you out of the gate no multiple choice on this oh man straight God. up yeah, this you're going like to have to give me a bad dream where I'm like uh, in my underpants in math class or something, Chris. <laughs> this is, I'm not ready for this, but okay, let's see what you got. All right, so here's your question. Uh, currently, how many banks and credit unions are there in Quincy? Oh, I'm going to give you within five. Oh, I get a five a five window. You get a, you get a within okay. five. So that Ooh. is a question. Not going right. to give you any guesses. Uh, I'm not going to give you any multiple choice answers, uh, but it will give you the question again. Currently, how many banks and credit unions are there in the city of Quincy? Spoiler alert, because I probably won't. We'll see what happens. No, you better not. Uh, We'll have that coming up for you at the end of this episode, but it's time to dive into something that really isn't discussed a lot. But we got some luck in getting some discussion from a book that recently came out. We're going to be talking about the Civil War and how it affected Quincy. That coming up next here on Wild Quincy. (music) 
Here's what you missed on the latest After Hours episode of Wild Quincy. Apparently, there's some kind of, maybe someone's a, a amateur beekeeper or something, or there's a hive nearby. You Googled this, right? Oh, you know I did. For like hours. I was going to say, I knew where the story was going. <laughs> so I'm trying to figure out, what is the deal with the bees? That sounds like a bad uh-huh. Seinfeld bit here. Um, what's the deal with the bees? What's the deal with the bees? <laughs> <laughs> what happened to the A's and the C's? No, um, Our After Hours episodes are available exclusively for Patreon members by going to patreon.com slash wildquincy. For just a couple dollars a month, not only will you double the amount of Wild Quincy episodes at your fingertips, but you'll also be supporting our efforts as we continue to dive into the wild and crazy history of our favorite town. Also, as a Patreon member, you can take part in our live events and Patreon-only outings, as well as having access to our regular episodes two days before they are released to the public. It's easy. Just head to patreon.com slash wildquincy. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash wildquincy and become a wild thing today. All right, it's time to get back to it. Hey, everybody, this is Quaid from 99.5 WCOY, and you're listening to Wild Quincy. Now, back to the show. Back here on Wild Quincy and Travis, I'm super excited to talk about this. And and I, if you would have asked me if I would be excited about this about ten years ago, I would have said no. <laughs> but I am now because after reading this book, uh, it is uh, it's very fascinating. It's about uh, the Civil War and how it affected Quincy. And, and Travis, we reached out to uh, the author. His name is uh, David Costigan. I believe that's how I'm pronouncing that correct. You are correct, I believe. He was, uh, and still is to some fact, uh, a professor at Quincy University. He wrote this great book. Actually, the title of the book, if you want to check it out, is called A City in Wartime, Quincy, Illinois, in the Civil War. You can check that out. It's uh, available on uh, Kindle. There might be some physical versions available as well. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So you can check that out. A very cool book. Uh, It's definitely a must read if you're into Quincy history. So we got to give him some love. We did try to reach out to David. Uh, unfortunately, we weren't able to uh, connect, uh, but we do want to give him lots of credit because practically everything you guys are going to hear tonight, except for maybe a couple little snippets, are going to be things from the book itself. Now, now Chris, uh, I'm going to stop. A lot of people right now might be looking to change the, the podcast <laughs> because they've sat through hours about the Civil War in grade school. They know about Gettysburg. They know about Lee surrender at the Appomattox court. They know all this stuff already. Why in the world would they want to go and look at a book about Quincy? Quincy was, it had anything to do with the civil war, Chris, there was no battles fought here. Well, right? I, I, I think that's awesome that you asked that question, Travis, because it's something I that may have been, I may have been doing that on purpose. Chris. <laughs> I may have been, I wouldn't want to play my hand a little too much. Don't, but. don't, don't give away how this works, but no, it's now it does sound recorded. I mean, what, a, what a strange and a spontaneous question. <laughs> what I had a great question. We didn't talk about that before we started recording, no. um, but no, uh, Travis, you, you bring up a good point there. It, it, you know, it's civil war, blah, blah, blah. You know, I mean, I shouldn't say it in that terms, but you know, we've all, been through history class and U.S. history, and we've all heard that. But it's really neat to get the perspective of a micro level, and I think especially for people who were raised or, or lived in Quincy, um, that you don't really hear about. Again, uh, we're going to talk later about how you know if you read the history books, Gettysburg. Oh my gosh, Gettysburg was so amazing. So uh, you know the whole battle was just crazy. Uh, but in Quincy, in that time frame, it really wasn't even a Thing. It may have come up, the word Gettysburg might have appeared twice in yeah. this book. Yeah. Because this, like you said, Chris, this book is micro focused on Quincy, the Quincy area. And obviously, different people from Quincy had an effect on the war, had an effect in Washington. But the core book is around Quincy's experience. You know, this was new. This was not, people didn't have the, the context of history. Everything was new. Everyone thing was uh, no one knew what to expect, and that this book does such a great job at capturing that sense of a city who very much thought that the war might be fought on the river, mm-hmm. right across the river. Yeah. So yeah, I just want to tee it up a little bit there because it really looks at things from an angle that you didn't think about in history class, right. and it's an amazing book. 
and it really is not uh, not only about the fighting and the possibility of being attacked, but the economic factors involved with it too. We're such a strain in the Quincy area. We're going to get into all that. The way we're going to approach this is that Travis and I both read the book, and again, excellent book. I recommend you got to get it. But there's a lot of neat facts, and there, you know, I'm looking at one right here in my notes that just blew my mind, and I never processed it until I read this book. And so those are the things that we're going to be pulling out of the books, the stuff that both Travis and I were like, wow, okay, we didn't realize that was a thing. Um, so that's what we're going to be focusing on. Obviously, we can't cover it all. That's why we want you to check out the book. Yeah, we're just scratching the surface here. But we want to pull out some of the things that we found interesting. And of course, some of our background and our history and how we grew up also affects some of the things we pulled out. But that's beside the point. So Travis, are you ready to dig in? Yeah, it's, it's hard to find a good place to start, but we're just going to roll with it and see where it goes. One thing I do want to say, and I, I want to use this as a precautionary precursor. Uh, obviously, we know today's uh, today's uh, atmosphere, if you will, uh, of, of in climate. There's, there's racial tension a little bit still. You want to go down in that wheelhouse, um, but... I want to take a moment where anything we say, I don't want you to take offense to. Uh, we hope that you don't. But um, there may be things, again, Civil War, slavery, all those are pretty um, still hot yeah. subject items. So, again, remember, we're bringing this from a historical fact, a historical background. We're not trying to put any emphasis on any anything. But I did want to throw that out as kind of a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A uh, trigger, trigger warning. I mean, there is controversial stuff because the world in the civil war was far, you know, I would like to say it's completely different, but I think there's still elements of it that exist today, but it's really was the, just a different world. I don't have to tell you guys that you already know that, but it's, you have to remind yourself that sometimes when you go and read some of these accounts and, some the language, you know, it's it's rough. It's real rough. Yeah. So um, also, I just had this thought, Travis. Maybe we need to make a wow counter uh, because there's going to be <laughs> wow a lot counter. of moments that I'm like, wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> I'll do hmm, and you go wow, and okay. we'll, we'll see how that. We'll works. see. It. Well, yeah. let's uh, anybody willing and wanting to to go ahead and get a piece of paper and a pen, write how many times tally. that we say wow yeah. and how and hmm, and we'll hmm. Uh, see if we can get a tally at the end. Uh, let us know on Facebook. All right, so Travis, let's start out here. The first thing on my list that I was wowing about was that during the Civil War time, Quincy actually had two U.S. senators. Yeah. Oh. We were stacked when it came to, you know, the nat- the national level of politics. We were a powerhouse, Chris. Well, not only that, but again, kind of a, the broad stroke here is that most people may not realize that it, during the Civil War time, Quincy was the second biggest city in the state of Illinois, uh, followed up shortly by Chicago. So um, to have uh, U.S. senators that were from the Quincy area – Going to Washington to represent the state of Illinois is pretty neat. Of course, uh, Stephen Douglas is is one that you can mention. He wasn't, and we're going to have a whole episode on Stephen Douglas coming up, hopefully later this season. But he was the one that started out a Democrat. He was in office from 1847 to 1861 when he passed away. Of course, that's also during a little bit of a time he might have been running for a different office that we'll talk about in a few minutes. But in 1861, he passed away. He was uh, then an appointment was made. Now, Travis, in that time frame, and you'll see this as often, and it's still in today's world, it's a very uh, Democrat uh, city. And it was that way in the 1860s during this time period as well. But on the same note, the state as a whole actually had a Republican as the governor. And so when somebody that's in the U.S. Senate passes away, the governor gets to appoint that U.S. Senate seat. And so when that came up, Orville Browning, who is again from Quincy, he was appointed, but he was a Republican uh, that was appointed to the seat, which is kind of weird to think about that you had a Democrat that was in the seat. He passes away. And so the, the, the governor gets to appoint a Republican in his place. Yeah. It's, it's uh, real quick, Chris, I wanted to circle back for a second before we talk more about that. Uh, Quincy might've been the third biggest city after Decatur, but it it was right on the fence, depending on when the facts were taken. Oh, sure. Sure. But anyways, I just, I don't want an angry email. Yeah. It's, it's top three. Absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, to your point about uh, the whole Stephen Douglas, and I mean, obviously, you know, 
in this time, I think Lincoln had just taken office as president or was just about to that Douglas and Lincoln were running off, running off. And I think the book kind of starts out Douglas realized he wasn't going to win against Lincoln. And so his attention on the campaign trail really became more about keeping the union with these, the threat of, you know, the, the Confederacy breaking off. He kind of took, was the bigger, the bit, not the bigger man, but focused on the bigger issue. But Illinois was a weird split. It is obviously a very long, tall state. And uh, I believe the more northern had the more Republican support for Lincoln and the more southern yeah. part had more of a support for uh, Douglas. So it's it's interesting how those dynamics played out. But even in all the partisan politics, um, there was still that that shared vision of keeping the union yeah. you know, and not seeing things split apart. Yeah, and I, that's actually a note that I had too. Travis was talking about how, you know, like you said, Douglas said he wasn't going to win or didn't think he was going to win. And so then the, 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 the shift actually happened to becoming a supporter, but not necessarily of Lincoln, but a supporter of the union. And one of the things I had here was they talked about he had a, his thing called Save the Flag speech. Uh, during the Illinois General Assembly back in 1861, which influenced legislators to authorize men and materials for the war. So he spent time in the South actually trying to keep the Civil War from happening, even though he knew that he probably wasn't going to win the presidency. To save the flag speech alone, just to piggyback off what you just said, Chris, not only did he, he perform that speech, but I believe there was a lot of accreditation given to him from preventing Southern Illinois forces fighting as joining the Confederate. Oh, army. yeah. Right. You're right. So, I mean, that was huge in yeah. the grand scheme of things. And I think uh, we'll get to that later. I don't want to I don't want to misspeak, but we'll we'll dig into some of that later because there were some other forces that were actually Confederate forces that switched. And I think another one of the uh, big names from Quincy we're going to talk about later was part very influential in making sure that uh, who they thought they were going to be a Confederate army ended up becoming a Union army uh, in the South. But one thing I want to get into, you kind of preface this already, Travis, is talking about of course, everybody knows it's called the Lincoln-Douglas debates. It's called the, the presidency for the election in 1860. We all know who won the election. <laughs> right. But here's the next wow for you guys. And this is something I never processed until I read this book. But the wow is this. Have you ever thought about who actually won the election in Quincy? Mm, that's a good, good question. That's a good question. Who did that? Who won, Chris? It was not Lincoln. That's right. Stephen Douglas actually had the majority vote in Quincy. He had 1,274 votes. He had 50.3% of the total vote. Lincoln came in second with 48.5%. And those numbers pretty much uh, match what Adams County and Hull was at. Uh, however, of course, the state of Illinois was for Lincoln, and of course, nationwide, uh, Lincoln received 1.8 million votes to Douglas's 1.3 million votes. So here's another thing. Uh, going back to, it doesn't matter what political affiliation you have, the city of Quincy was very democratic back in those days. This was Douglas territory. Yes. They always say the winner writes the history yeah. books, and, and Lincoln... You know, the looking for Lincoln, you know, movement downtown, all the plaques and everything. I mean, yeah, it's well founded. I mean, Lincoln sure. obviously was a great president, but I think I think in, there's a tendency whenever you have a versus situation, Lincoln versus Douglas, I think there's a tendency to see Douglas as like the bad guy, the bad yeah. guy, right? Yeah. And this this was not the case. No. Everybody loved Douglas yeah. and Quincy. I mean, most people did well, being a Democratic region. I, I don't want to sound ignorant, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. <laughs> I, That's all right. When, when, before I really got into this. I always kind of thought Douglas was like a pro-slavery kind of person because he was running as a Democrat. Right. You know, he was running against Lincoln, but that wasn't the case at all. It, they were both anti-slavery to an extent. Um, we'll get into more details about that later. Boy, there, there's a, that's a big rabbit hole we need to go. Down. Yeah, that's a huge rabbit hole. Uh, yeah. But but it's really you know my my ignorance back then of of not realizing that you know both of them were against this idea and they were both for the union is is pretty pretty impressive. But to say they were both anti-slavery may 
not be completely right there there's a little bit of a little bit yeah there's a lot actually to that and actually even in the state of illinois uh we'll get into that too there oh boy are you well we black laws uh is that right it was what it was called back in the day um yeah so we'll we'll get into all that later uh yeah the black law from 1853 we'll talk about that a little bit later yeah Uh, so anyway just want to give you an idea again douglas the winner of city of quincy and adams county with the most uh the popular votes very very interesting by the way john bell and john breckenridge were also running in that 1860 election so the more you know there you go (laughs) uh next thing i want to talk about we mentioned his name already but i this guy is going to be his own episode too because it's very impressive his the stuff that he did is amazing. And the guy's name is Orville Browning. You've probably heard his name in passing like most people have in Quincy history. But then honestly, just if I can get on a quick soapbox, this is the great thing about this book is it takes these kind of names that we see thrown around in plaques and it adds a human element, you know, through all this research that David Costigan did from diaries. I know it's especially Orville Browning who we're referring to. It really painted a picture of the person and felt the whole, you know, pages on John Wood himself really led so much insight that we just take for granted the John Wood mansion, the statue of John Wood. But everything that's behind what made the man is really interesting. I, I, I smile because every time I was reading this book, Travis, and I came across, well, John Wood was leading uh, military forces. And I'm like, oh, there he is. He's got another job. <laughs> I know. Busy guy. <laughs> yeah. Busy guy. Busy guy. Uh, but yeah, Orville, uh, we mentioned he was the uh, U.S. senator that replaced Stephen Douglas. He was appointed to that position. He did lose that position to William Richardson in 1863. I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there now because I think this was one of those wow moments again for me is that. He, of course, was in that position, but he was also a very close confidant for Abraham and Mary Todd Lincoln. He spent a lot of time, and they actually had records in the diary of how many times he visited Lincoln at yeah. the White House uh, leading up to he, when he, he... He and his wife as well were both very close uh, to Lincoln. That I believe his wife, uh, uh, Louise, I think was her name. I have that written down somewhere. But uh, yeah, absolutely, Chris. The, there was a, definitely a close connection between them, and almost unprecedented access to the president while he, you know, during his presidency. It, it's yeah. wild to see that. Yeah, and quite a few Quincy characters that were close friends of of Lincoln. It's it's surprising to think that this little region in <laughs> Illinois yeah. had. Abraham Lincoln's ear so much. It's um, crazy to think about, yeah. really. I mean, you got Lincoln, you got Douglas. I mean, it's just it's just crazy to think about. Uh, I want to throw out a couple things about Orville real quick because I thought this would be a good place to put it. He actually went back to Washington uh, when Andrew Johnson took office in 1866. He became the Secretary of Interior. And a nice little side note, and I got to throw this out there because I did a Wikipedia search. And I was like, oh, sure, he's, surely he's got to be on this list. And he's not on the list. Uh, and the list I'm referring to has to do with he is uh, one of uh, maybe 20 or so people that have served in dual roles on the cabinet for a U.S. president because he was on the secretary. He was the secretary of interior. And then he also became the attorney general uh, under the Johnson administration as well, because I think it had something to do with an impeachment process. Yeah, Johnson was impeached. Was the only yeah. president to be impeached, or I believe that's still the case. Yeah. It was. Yeah, check, double check my stats there. But he was doing both. He was doing both, and that is not in Wikipedia's. He's not listed as one of those cabinet members that has had dual roles. I thought that was kind of cool. But then I was like, do I edit it? I'm not going to worry about editing. I'll just right. let somebody else do that. <laughs> yeah, he. I tell you, he was he was kind of the rock star politician for a long time. And as the Democratic uh, Party rose in in uh, popularity or continued to rise in popularity, his his career saw a bit of a sunset. But then it had a dramatic comeback there with the Johnson administration, like you said, where he was serving in the cabinet. Quite a comeback story. Um, he he was uh, instrumental in, I believe, in convincing a lot of the military hospitals to actually be set up here in Quincy yeah, as well. That was a big a thing. lot of utilizing connections and his name keeps on popping up in a lot of different places in this book where yeah. uh he used his influence to really promote Quincy and try to get the economic uh just spiral 
uh, you know, it under control. And if not for the hospitals in Quincy, that you know, that was a huge part of that. I think. Now, I don't remember if it was if it was Browning or if it was Richardson who followed up Browning uh, for that U.S. Senate seat that was also trying to push to get an arsenal in Quincy. And right. then Richardson was was, I believe, was yeah. it Richardson? I believe it, so. I have to double check my. Then, uh, well, if I remember my story right, Richardson tried to get this arsenal in Quincy to help with trying to create jobs, and then he ended up like going against the party. Uh, in some sort of a vote and it upset them so much that they put the arsenal in Rockford. <laughs> so, uh, no, uh, Rock, Island. Rock Island, Rock Island, Rock Island. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So uh, yeah, pretty, pretty cool. And then again, that's another reason this book is neat because it kind of digs into the background of, of politics during the civil war as well. There are so many people mentioned that it, it's really will kind of make your head spin. Yeah. But if you really break it all down and digest it, we're, we were we were referring to William Richardson, who was uh, the Democratic politician during the Civil War. And he did succeed. Uh, uh, he succeeded Douglas in the U.S. House of Representatives and then defeated Orville Hickman for the yeah. spot in the Senate. There, yeah. And that's when the whole bid for the arsenal went south and actually yeah. went north <laughs> more yeah. appropriately exactly. to Rock Island. I did uh, wanted to tell you real quick. I haven't started it yet. I I, I purchased it. It's a Kindle book. It's forty one hours long. Um, but uh, it'll be my second forty plus hours. I did get through the stand. By the way, great book. Uh, oh yeah, you've been Stephen talking King. about that. Oh, I love yeah. that book. It's better than the movies. Uh, but anyway, I found this book and I'm really excited to get into it. It's called Team of Rivals: The Political Genius of Abraham Lincoln. It's a book about how Lincoln used both Republicans and Democrats uh, as his confidants during the Civil War to create unity. So I'm excited to get into that. If anybody's read that, let me know what you guys think, because it looks like a really cool book. Uh, but Travis, before we get into the wartime, is there anything before the war that you wanted to bring up? Actually, I'm going to double back real okay. fast. We talked about Douglas. Obviously, he was a huge figure. He had the nation's ear, a lot of support. And he gets sick and dies in 1861, mm, yes. right as the war is getting ready to break out. And I think it left a tremendous void in the country's response to the war. And in a lot of me reading through this, his 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 legacy exceeded him in, I mean, everyone referenced Douglas. I mean, there's so many speeches that reference Douglas after he's died to kind of kind of piggyback off his momentum and his power as a individual that I really wonder, it makes me curious how he, how, what his role would have been during the war. And, yeah. and I, I think when we talk about Douglas, I'd love to look into that as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so we get into wartime and the very first thing I want to point out, and I thought I had to read this twice because I was like, wait, what? In this book, Costigan's book, he talks about Lincoln and that I think this was coming from Browning's diaries that um, talk about Fort Sumpner. Yeah. They were talking that, uh, and I'm just going to go ahead and read this part out of the book. Uh, it says, Lincoln confided in Browning that his plan succeeded. They attacked Fort Sumpner. It fell and thus did more service than it otherwise could. This intriguing confidence has led some interpreters to include that conclude that Lincoln coaxed the first shot so as to commence hostilities. Historian Richard N. Current evaluated it somewhat differently. He judged that Lincoln felt hostilities were probable, and if and when they should start, he wanted the South to seem like the aggressor. Boy, I have that noted too, Chris. Yeah. Isn't that something? Yeah. So the, who knew? The event that really kicked off the war was maybe strategically coerced yeah. a little bit. And uh, boy, that's something. So another thing I found pretty neat, and it's something that you're going to hear a few more times before we wrap up this episode, is talking about how Quincy is on the losing side of legislation. And this one, for example, talks about with Browning. And Browning found himself on that losing side. Uh, and this had to do with a bill to create the state of West Virginia. So what was happening was West Virginia was wanting to kind of uh, make their own state from the state of Virginia. You can go into constitutional stuff, and this one kind of does. He revealed that in, uh, you know there was an issue with that because the, it contends that Virginia must expressively agree it's uh, allowing for the dismemberment of their state, and, and that never happened. So Browning said technically it shouldn't happen but obviously it did even lincoln was distressed by trying to decide whether or not he should sign or veto the bill and he ends up of course signing the bill and becoming west virginia becomes its 
its own state. But I, I thought that was pretty cool because ironically, you know, I've had a lot of time this offseason driving back and forth to read books. And I read something. I did a book on um, what the Constitution really means um, and going into the details of what they mean by what they're saying. And that was one of the things that they talked about was, you know, a, a state, you know, has to say, OK, well, you could become your own state. It's not just something that people can get together and say, all right, Quincy is going to become the state of Quincy. Right. But right. I thought that was pretty interesting. Anything else on that before I move on, Travis? No, no, go on. Okay. So this was one of those sections next that I wanted to talk about because, uh, you know, I grew up on a farm and I found this, uh, again, uh, I'm not going to use my my go-to word, um, but... Uh, wow. Yeah, wow. Uh, get some Owen Wilson going on there. Hmm. Yeah. But I want to talk about agriculture during the war because this one kind of hit me. It says, in January, Jacob Harris opened his factory and announced that he would furnish seed to area farmers interested in growing tobacco. Right. This is not right. a thing today in Quincy no. area. No. Tobacco is no. not a thing. There not only was it a thing back during the Civil War, but there was also two tobacco factories in Quincy. Absolutely. Their their grew to be several, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. It was so successful, in fact, that in uh, February of 1863, a new operation opened with 40 workers, um, and they proposed expanding across that. And actually, they went even further saying that if farmers wanted to get seeds... For tobacco, they could contact the, the U.S. Uh, representative or the U.S. senator, and the, he would purchase, he would get those seeds to him. But anyway, I found it very intriguing because you know, in in today's world, where corn, soybeans, wheat, maybe some oats, not tobacco, people, <laughs> not happening. Right. So, right, right, right. Uh, pretty cool that that was happening back now. But you got to think, Travis. The reason why that was probably happening, yeah, was because you couldn't. Get those things. And why couldn't you get those things? Because there was trade embargoes and there was restrictions on it if you could go trade with the Confederates. Mm. And that not Mm. only was an issue with tobacco, but that was a huge issue with Quincy in general because Quincy is a hub for all of Northeast Missouri. And all of a sudden you can't trade over the river. To quote an early Brad uh, Pitt movie, a river runs nearly through it. (laughs) And... And that river flow itself, Chris, was something I never considered is the type of uh, regulations that was essentially closing the river due to, you know, checking for contraband from the south. I mean, that if you really stop and think about all the states the river runs into, that was a highway, you know, obviously, especially in that day for, you know, uh, commercial uh, travel that obviously a lot of shipping that falling under, you know, that whole idea of of regulation of the river had so many implications. And, uh, you know, another industry to piggyback off of tobacco was actually pork packing. Mm, Because of the closing of the river, Quincy had to pick up, actually picked up the slack that was kind of dropped from Chicago. So it, it was it was an interesting, interesting to see economically how these different industries kind of started developing. Not only was tobacco popular, but it became a huge employer, especially for women. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a lot of times they advertised uh, that that they would had segregated areas for women, which was actually seen as a benefit yeah. at the time, strangely enough. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's really, it's so wild economically to see what happened because of the war and because of the flow of the river and all these other variables too. You mentioned earlier about Quincy having the ear of Lincoln. Lincoln originally put these uh, trade embargoes, if you will, between Confederacy and unions. But however, the representation of Quincy was very concerned about this because it was like handcuffing them because there was a lot of trade going on between Quincy and and Northern Missouri for that matter. And so at one point in time, Lincoln actually changed his mind on the trade embargo because of that, uh, because of what Quincy's thoughts were. And I'm sure there was other factors involved too, but again, we, as we have come to find out, Quincy definitely had Lincoln's ear back in that day. And so they canceled it, so then you could trade again. But then in 1863, the Treasury Department announced that, again, they were going to not allow that to happen. I have a list here. So the forbidden items included alcoholic beverages, salt, morphine, chloroform, and, of course, 
what you wouldn't send over there was ammunition. Right. So those were the things that were bar- uh, had had trade restrictions on it. And actually, they put a U.S. Army station in West Quincy to conduct inspections on everything that was coming across the river going into Missouri to make sure that somebody wasn't supporting the Confederate cause, if you will, with these trade embargoes. So it's, again... It's a weird time for Quincy because Quincy and Missouri and Northeast Missouri have such a close relationship that now you're practically just ripping the sheet in half. Absolutely. We talk about a lot of economic things as a as a kind of a high up level view, so to speak, a high high level view of the area. But honestly, if we talk about like okay, just person on the street when it came to the economy, you had a lot of patrons of businesses coming from Missouri into Illinois. And these taxes and these fees were getting applied to them because of them just doing everyday business, where to a certain extent, a lot of Quincy businesses even claim that they would pay the fees mm-hmm. as an further incentive to keep these these people here. And that's on top of the looming you know, hostilities of or proposed hostilities that Missourians kind of were worried to even come to Illinois. And there was a lot of uh, newspaper advertisements that said, hey, we're, we're still friendly. <laughs> you know, we, we know you guys are technically on the other side of the fence here you know, from this war, but you're welcome here. You're welcome here. If there's any trouble, let us know. They wanted, They didn't want to lose the business. Yeah. So they were doing a tight wire act yeah. and keeping business. And not only was it a tight wire act from a trade standpoint, but it was a it was another issue. And, and we can go ahead and, and let's dig into this for a minute. Talking about the fear that the citizens oh. of Quincy had yeah. of the chances of Quincy being attacked. And it got so bad, in fact, that uh, they multiple times contacted the governor saying we need reinforcements in here because we're hearing threats of being attacked. And that's something we don't talk about in today's world. But the fear back in the 1860s of a Confederate army coming to Quincy and trying to take over the town was a real threat back in the in the Civil War time. Yeah, things were so early. Again, we we don't live in a world where we haven't been educated on the Civil War and like starting in grade school. Mm-hmm. But they had no idea what was going to happen. They had no idea where the battles were going to be. They had no idea where the front was going to be. They legitimately, to your point, Chris, thought that the Civil War was going to be fought out on the river yeah. between Missouri and Illinois, two border states. And and yeah, there was huge fear that that was going to happen. I, Quincy even put in place a home guard, which was kind of a volunteer army. Um, I don't forget. I don't have the numbers in front of me. But that was sole purpose was just a kind of almost peace of mind to in case there was to be an uprising that maybe the military couldn't get here in time or wasn't in a position to defend Quincy. You know, this was their entire role. And I guess it helped to some extent. But, yeah, I mean, the, the all the newspapers were running articles about rumors and boy, everybody thought that, oh. you know they were coming. And speaking of that, and that's something we haven't got into either, is that at this point in time, and we've mentioned this in previous episodes, there's two newspapers going on in Quincy at this time. There's a Republican newspaper and there's a Democratic newspaper. <laughs> that's right. The Quincy Whig was the Republican uh, newspaper. The Quincy Herald was the Democratic newspaper. And boy, they did not pull any punches from each other, Chris. And they weren't afraid to say anything. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, they were very vocal. They would retract it and apologize a few days later, but they would say it flat out every time. <laughs> it was really something to see the battles that were fought out in the headlines, just in the small window of this book about the Civil War. Speaking of the newspapers, though, that goes to the next point. We kind of prefaced this at the very beginning, but uh, one of the things that was talked about was that there was a there was a small little uh, headline, if you will, in the newspaper that talked about the huge victory for the Union forces over Lee at Gettysburg. However, it received like no attention whatsoever. It wasn't a thing. Nobody knew the 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 level of fighting that happened in Gettysburg. We didn't necessarily have a dog in the fight from a Quincy perspective, and I'm sure maybe there I'm forgetting an obvious exclusion there. But mainly the officers, and there were several officers of uh, you know in the military who led battalions and, yep. and regiments. That that was mainly wherever they went was really what the newspaper focused on. 
uh, there's a guy named Prentice uh, that I hope that one day we'll get to talk about. Another one that was very highly involved. But I, I think you might be it might be suggesting a name that we bring up multiple times. Would that be John Wood? <laughs> it, 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 it would be Chris. Yeah, yes. John Wood. He was uh, he was actually called uh, he was Colonel John Wood. He was uh, in charge of the 137th Volunteers, or what they refer to as Woods Regiment. That's right. And he was also very highly involved in activities going on during that time. I believe it was right around that Gettysburg time too. So people in the Quincy area were more concerned about the Quincy forces out and about than they were necessarily this big battle going on in. Gettysburg. So again, John Wood, holy cow, we we could have a whole season on John Wood, uh, evidently, uh, with all we've learned in the last couple of years. But yeah, he had a lot going on there. And that was another thing. And I think that took a lot of the attention away from some of the bigger battles that the history books in today's world focus. He on. had just finished his run of governor of Illinois. I mean, literally just finished it before the war broke out. And I have to think that he was looking forward to coming back to Quincy and (laughs) kind of, you know, airing the boots out a little, enjoying, you know, building the new Octagon Mansion soon. And and instead, (laughs) instead, Civil War breaks out. And as a leader in the community, a lot of eyes turned to him and he picked up the ball. And, And he like I said, he's going on. He's going on. He's in his 60s now, I believe. And wow. think about the time, the life expectancy back in this time was not what it is today. Right. So he wasn't a spring chicken, but he was going on. There was actually, uh, on September 12th, the Whig reported that Palmyra had been captured by 250 rebels and uh, had overwhelmed. they had overwhelmed the Union contingency over there of just 50. And the rebels released 60 prisoners from the Palmyra jail. And so General John Wood heads over, organizes a force, heads over, and basically scares off the rebels. And so he's, <laughs> he's you know, going into Missouri because that was a hotbed, Palmyra. The Palmyra mm-hmm. area was a hotbed for a lot of skirmishes. Got a lot of activity going in Palmyra. Um, ten, ten, ten Union soldiers killed, or was it Confederate soldiers, I think, killed over there. Oh, Confeder- you, they were you, Confederate, yeah. You'd be talking about uh, John McNeil. Yep. Yeah, John McNeil was the Butcher of Palmyra was a nickname. Yep. He he spared no expense on issuing justice the way he, he thought and ended up killing 10. Uh, I believe the situation he is he went over to Palmyra searching for a person. And if he did not show up, he would kill 10 people in the jail. And this was basically the kind of it was a huge thing. I mean, everybody was up in arms about it. He ended up killing the 10 people. And but his actions, though drastic, really kind of cut down on any uprisings. Yeah, on, it really did. Palmyra. It's unfortunate so, um, that that yeah. happened. Um, if you don't know, that did happen in Palmyra. It actually happened at the what is today the fairgrounds. Um, that's where right. that that massacre did happen at. Um, there is some stories about some possible hauntings over there as well. Um, so with that, I, I, uh, uh, Travis, there's a few things. There's a bunch more actually. I'm actually as we're talking, I'm I'm deleting stuff. So there's going to be a ton of stuff on Patreon that we're going to have yes. to get to. But there's a few other things I want to bring up before we get into the post-war stuff. I'll get to the hospital stuff in a second because I know you have some information on yeah. that. But one of the things that I did that hit me, and again. Uh, I mentioned it earlier that Quincy was not always a place that was in line with national sentiment. And another thing had to do with just the flat out thing of racism. Oh, boy. I'm going to read this from the book we're talking about. It says a final appeal came from the Democrats on Election Day. This was during their local elections. It says, if you do not want Quincy to be the receptacle of this worthless population, which they referred to free blacks, you should vote the whole Democratic ticket. This, the genuine Democratic issue, was brought into the open, though they saved their blunt racist appeal for the final hours of the campaign. So, again, even though you had this going on, Illinois is a free state in the in the Civil War. They're a union state. There was still immense racism in a free state like Illinois. I think we just addressed the elephant in the room, Chris. Yeah. Quincy likes to tout its history of being abolitionist movement, and there are some cases of that. But Quincy did not want black people in in this community. They did not. To be completely honest. In, in, uh, Civil War time. During the Civil War time. Yeah. Yeah, there was there on both sides, you know, this this the whole 
the result of the Emancipation Proclamation and the freeing of the slaves was not the reason that the Civil War started. That was kind of a political tool that was played. And the reality was it was about keeping the Union. And it's it's something that's kind of a dark thing to have to admit. But Quincy is a total... They were scared of having an influx of black workers taking the jobs of the heavy, heavily Irish and German populations. And, the, you know, it's interesting these days the Democratic Party is seen as more liberal and the Republican Party is seen as more conservative. But it almost felt like the Democratic side in this time frame was really the more, I mean, blatantly racist side. And yeah. both, both you know, even even efforts on the Republican side to to address you know the black community was just racist in nature and and there there it was it was it was bad it was really bad if you could take out and i like where you're going with this but if you can take out the concept of color it really came down to not so much color that was the fear as it was of that jobs were very hard to come by in the quincy area during this time period. Yeah, there was a huge economic slump. Yeah. They were they were so worried of an influx of people. It didn't matter black or white. I mean, but obviously it's election time. You're going to hit on what the people are going to vote for. And so they go to this with it being, uh, you know, African-Americans are going to be coming in here. It's going to take away your jobs. You're not going to have you're not going to have jobs anymore. But in all honesty, it just came down to is that they were already hurting as it was. And they didn't have the jobs available for all the people. And now they're afraid they're having yeah. this big influx coming in from from all these people coming in from Missouri. And, and it's going to be even worse. But it's still horrible to say. But it, the bottom line, it didn't matter if you were going to be what color you were going to be. I mean, honestly, you had that little feeling of, all right, we got our little community. We don't want to add a thousand, two thousand, three thousand people. Yeah, I mean, there was blatant racism as well yeah. towards some. I mean, the Ir- different times, the yeah. different you know ethnic groups, you know, Irish and German, you know, yep. felt it. I mean, the Democratic, the Democrats through the Quincy Herald, often played the angle of the German workers by printing things in German just for for them, basically, which was an interesting tactic from a newspaper standpoint. But no, it, it was a it was a dark reality. I think this book looks into. It was tough to tough to read some. On that note, too, not only was the city of Quincy affected by this, but also the state of Illinois. And we mentioned this earlier, but there was a, a law called the Black Laws, and it's, it was a, a thing that started in 1853. And pretty much, I had to look it up uh, to make sure. It's I, also called the Law of 1853 as well. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. What it is in, in its basic form is it prohibits any black person from outside of the state from staying in the state for more than ten days. Get this, Travis. That did not get repeal, repealed until 1865. Right. So after the Emancipation Proclamation. Yeah, it took a while issue. because there was this issue of like, okay, well, if we're letting these slaves get free, uh, they can come to Illinois. But yet, then there were some issues with like uh, slave owners in Missouri, like trying different tactics to say that somebody like stole their property. And right, and there was right. a bunch of different lawsuits going on at this time because of that. Well, you, you had riverboat, you know, captains being arrested because they didn't know where the law, the letter of the law was with the, both the Emancipation Proclamation and the law of 1850, was 1853, the black law you talked about, both being in place at the same time. No one knew where who was in the right. There was just mass confusion over what the policy was. was and I did mention this, and we just talked about this, but you're, you did still see an influx in the Quincy area. According to the, the census of 1860, uh, it, there was 152 free black slaves in Quincy. Then by 1865, the number was up to 1,500. So you did right. see a big yeah. influx come into Quincy. Uh, however, you you did have issues going back to the work uh, and job availability. You did have some job issues, but in all, uh, there was still jobs available for uh, for a lot of people because you had people like uh, the Needle Pickets and you had uh, the other ladies group that came into town. They ended up starting businesses and receiving grants from the government to to get these supplies and things to soldiers. So you did have job creation happening with. 
um, this whole war going on with this influx of people. But uh, Travis, I do get to get into the subject. You found some interest in it. You did some deep diving in it. Let's talk about hospitals in Quincy. Yeah, like I alluded to earlier, there was uh, Quincy was a huge base for hospitals. And what would happen is is injured soldiers from the Union in the battles that you did read about, in the, you know, in the history books, they were brought upriver to Quincy. And it started it started with one hospital and quickly the need for, for beds escalated until there were five. The first one was located in a, in a large brick building on the west side of Fifth between Ohio and Delaware. Uh, later, an, another hospital would pop up located on the east side of Fifth Street between Maine and Jersey. And again, the need continued. Hospital number three popped up on the northeast corner of Sixth and Spring. Hospital number four was located on Spring Street between 3rd and 4th. And Hospital number five was still a prairie at this point, east of 12th Street and north of Broadway. So the whole mantra of this book in reference to the hospitals was the troops just kept coming. And though Quincy was so far removed from the actual place of the battles, Quincy was well aware of the atrocities of war because the injured were among us. And and throughout. But, you know, we talked about this in the past, Chris. Hospital number one, we've often speculated that the the uh, mausoleum in Woodland Cemetery and that was around the same. That was in the kind of this basic area of the, the first hospital, hospital number one. OK. Between on the, the west side of Fifth Street between Ohio and Delaware. So we we've gone full circle. They took over a school too at one point in time, I believe. Right? Wasn't uh, the was it Quincy College? Oh, I have it here somewhere. Um, they got to the point where one of those was a college, I believe, and then they ended up taking. Yeah, it, over, it was so. the Quincy German and English Methodist College, and that was taken over by Hospital Number Four in eighteen sixty three. All right, Travis, we're at the end. Unless you got anything else, I got to bring up the deaths. We could go on forever, unfortunately, but but do yourself a favor and read more that we're not able to get to because it's super interesting stuff and we will have a ton of it again on the patreon episode as we're talking there's thoughts and thoughts and thoughts coming into the head that yeah, i want to talk about exactly. but we're running short on time let's talk about the civil war related deaths of quincians in 1862 there was 118 63 saw 129 1864 162 and 1865 there was 64 deaths so all in all 496 quincians died from deaths during the Civil War. That's a big number. Yeah, there were some heavy losses. Yeah. Heavy losses. Definitely. So we can't talk Civil War without talking about the probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest thing to happen, and that was an assassination of a U.S. president. Of course, we know President Lincoln was assassinated. Uh, this had um, kind of a weird effect in Quincy. Uh, I'll go ahead and read this se uh, section from his book. It says, The week summarized in its headlines, Fearful Calamity. Rejoicing is turned or are turned into mourning. One sense the, from the reader, the local editor's response, that they were literally stunned and nearly speechless. There seemed nothing quite appropriate to write. It goes into talking about uh, Colonel Dean, one of the colonels in the city, decided to um, say, well, if Quincians drink to celebrate, they must also drink to mourn. So the mayor requested local businesses close out of respect of the fallen president. And then, of course, churches had their services. And then there was a large gathering at Washington Square where our governor Wood uh, was the presiding officer and they sang some songs and uh, had some some different things happening at Washington Square to uh, commemorate President Lincoln's death. So it was still a again there was a lot of locals in the Quincy area that personally knew Abraham Lincoln. So it obviously and now you have the wars over or getting close to the end, practically over and then this big presidential assassination happens. I believe James Singleton, a Quincy lawyer, railroad man, and congressman as well, was one of the last person to see Lincoln alive mm. before he was shot. And, uh, yeah, the whole the whole surrender and the defeat of the Confederate Army, the, the window of that celebration here in Quincy, which you alluded to, where they closed the bars <laughs> because... Yeah. 
things get a little out of hand around here. Um, and the whole era of mourning was very quick. It was a tight window when that happened. Yeah. It's a super exhilaration turned into mourning very quickly. Two last things here, and I'll wrap up for this. But uh, again, and I'm going to say this per quote, it says, again, the city of Quincy was out of tune with the political arena. And we're going to 1864. Uh, State Representative Thomas Redmond, uh, who was elected in 1864, voted in the negative on the ratification of the 13th Amendment to the Constitution ending slavery. Uh, so, again, it's something weird. Quincy can't brag about, unfortunately, about being part of that 13th Amendment because it's state representative. And I believe Thomas was a local to Quincy, voted against it. Now, who knows what happened in that play but again we've seen multiple times where i guess it's in some ways good but in other ways it's not so good that our favorite uh, town is not in line with the rest of the country not only was he a quincy and thomas redmond he was the mayor of quincy oh, yes okay yeah he took over the mayor of quincy in 1861 so served and it was was a pretty long incumbent mayor if my memory serves so yeah that was definitely a kick in the teeth of history a little bit that we were on the negative side of the that. So it's happened quite a few times, unfortunately. Uh, Quincy, not quite. And again, I guess we want to wrap up by saying it's winners write the history books. However, um, I do have to give credit uh, to the author, again, David Costigan, because he really paints a complete picture of Quincy. Yes, he does. Uh, it's painfully honest, I think, of of the realities and not just cherry picking the nicest things that look best from a tourism perspective frankly and from a historical plaque perspective you're not going to see a lot of you know, plaques on the more negative things but that's still a valid part of history and which i think david costigan did an amazing job to much kudos on this book one last note uh, i found this and I, it's probably going to end up being another wild quincy episode to find out exactly what happened but in 1868 ulysses s grant did visit quincy i did see that in the book before he was, yeah, before he was general, but he yes. was he was around here for sure. Yeah, so we'll have to dig into that some other time. But that, uh, ladies and gentlemen, is a look at the effects of the Civil War in the Quincy area. We'll be back with more after this on Wild Quincy. <laughs> It certainly is a big bun. It's a very big bun. Big fluffy bun. It's a very big fluffy bun. Where's the beef? Some hamburger places give you a lot less beef on a lot of bun. Where's the beef? At Wendy's, we serve a hamburger we modestly call a single. And Wendy's single has more beef than the Whopper or Big Mac. At Wendy's, you get more beef and less bun. Hey, where's the beef? I don't think there's anybody back there. You want something better. You're Wendy's kind of people. Travis, I got to ask, where's the beef? I love me the beef. And that's a classic commercial right there. <laughs> Man, it, you want the beef, order the T-Rex burger from Wendy's. Remember oh, that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, More yeah. cow than should ever live between two pieces of bread. So two things here. The uh, first thing is, is we're making a change. It's becoming extremely difficult to find local ads. We will get back to that, but we decided to change things up a little bit this season and try doing some national ads that have some local appeal. Of course, Wendy's has been a fixture. Boy, do you remember when it was at like 25th and Broadway? Yeah, they had that big, like that weird, the weird side thing, which is you had to go around in the drive-thru because you would have drove right yeah. through it. Yeah. That weird design. <laughs> but it was, yeah. they wanted to have a sunroom at Wendy's evidently but yeah that's where it was uh so so yeah we're trying to focus on some local flavor but it's more national ads we thought how appropriate to do where's the beef second thing i wanted to bring up to you travis is that it's very ironic and they said that the the announcers like wendy's single cheeseburgers have more meat than the whopper and i'm like uh, I, don't I don't think, think that, that holds, math holds true out. today. That math doesn't seem that <laughs> up, Chris. Mm. No. <laughs> so uh, good commercial. That was always a big one. We'll have some other ones. I, I we may have some fun ones, uh, but we may also uh, may have some some WhatsApps coming down your road later yeah, on. So we'll see if we get to that. Uh, Travis, uh, we have been missing him dearly. Uh, for about two months. Bring on the golden voice, Chris. And 
And now, it's time for Words of Wisdom from Adams County. Hey, congratulations to Bo on who recently purchased a new house, growing family. Good good for you, Bo, just FYI. Congrats, Bo. Well, now he's going to have, you know, that growing, have some more pipes. Some more, some more Pipe, Bo pipes. pipes? Oh, voice. voice. I thought you were talking about plumbing. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> He's about as good with tools as I am. So, yeah. So we go to the the wisdom and wit of the forefathers and foremothers of Adams County. It's from Harry Middleton Hyatt. It's a book that we've uh, dug into last season. Back in, uh, let's see, what's the date on this bad boy? I don't remember. It's old. Uh, but it, there is some good wisdom to take from this book. We're going to turn, we haven't put it out there yet. We will put out there um, some, ask some numbers uh, pretty soon here. Probably be seeing that in the next few days. But we're going to turn to a number selection from none other than uh, one of our favorite Patreon members and favorite listeners, uh, Amanda Van Ness. Excellent. What do we got? So she chose uh, the number, let me make sure I got this right, 10,101. Good number. That would be in the section for the dying. Not, oh, gosh. Not as in, like, clothing dying. Maybe it is. The act of not living anymore? Uh, I believe so. How's it spelled? D-Y-I-N-G. Yeah, you're, that's a dead one. Okay. <laughs> it would have been D-Y-E-D, I believe. <laughs> so here we go. We turn to the pages. We get to 10,101. Here we go. To sew a button on clothing while someone is wearing it means that that person will die before the clothing wears out. Words of wisdom from Adams County. Oh, shoot. <laughs> shoot. Shoot. I think I said shoot. Um, wow. Wow, right? Take that jacket off, guys. And I think it's just a good idea not to... Not Go at someone with a needle while they're wearing the clothes, anyways. <laughs> not be a, not having someone sew on you while you're. Doing what about that. tailors? I mean, did like tailors? Did they do? Do they sew buttons Do they? I sew... guess they're not actually sewing. They're just yeah. doing little. Yeah. They're measuring. Well, they're anyway, thanks, Amanda. If you go to a tailor, they could kill you. <laughs> thanks, Amanda. We'll have a we'll have we'll be asking for some more questions coming up here as we move on uh, through the rest of the season for our wisdom and wit from the forefathers. But Travis, are we ready for the question of the day? Uh, you know, I'm about as ready as I'll ever be, Chris. Remind me, what am I supposed to be ready for? So here's the question. You have to guess within five the number. But uh, here is the question. Currently, how many banks and credit unions are there in Quincy? We're looking for the total number of banks and credit unions. Travis, what is your guess? Uh... <laughs> 20 20 20 20 it's low i can tell from the from your voice <laughs> do you want to take a second guess <laughs> that it's that low 40 incorrect um ah. if i gave you within 20 you would be right really Okay, so 60ish there is a, according to um a website that i found um, I don't remember what the website's uh, thing is, but if you do a Google search for say how many banks are there in Quincy, it's the first thing that pops up. It's one of those things where it actually pops up in bold. Uh, there is an estimated sixty banks and credit unions in the city of Quincy, so give or take four or five. So that is your number. That's way more than I would have guessed. Exactly. Obviously, me too. Yeah. Um, now we don't know if it means it's they're in the city limits or if it's the zip code or what exactly that means. But you didn't uh, type in like. Quincy, like Massachusetts, too, and try to mess with this. I just typed in. Ooh. No, I put Illinois. It did okay. put Illinois. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. I did put Illinois. You've been tricky in the past. I, I got to keep you, keep you on, on That would have been dirty. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That would have been dirty. Dirty dog. Anyway, Travis, we're obviously uh, not ready to get a bank account right now. Uh, we already got one, we and we actually do. can use it now. Um, <laughs> We're talking about something else, aren't we? I think you're alluding to our next episode, if if I didn't Sounds know. Sounds right. Uh, and I think you may be referring to a story we hinted at in our robberies episode um, in season two, I believe that was. And this would be the story of the first national bank robbery in Quincy that happened in 1874. This was a real, like... 
technical Ocean's Eleven-ish style job. It was a lot of different characters with the cool names like uh, John Red Leary and uh, Hustlin' Bob. I mean, this was a well-run, you know, conglomerate of bank thieves, and they waltzed into town and waltzed out with a lot of cash. And we're going to give you that story next time. If there is a guy named Sticky Fingers, I am so. <sighs> I'm afraid I don't have one. We'll make one up. Sticky Fingers yeah, Williams. Yeah. He's going to be on the next episode that's, of that's Wild Quincy. Uh, no, it's going to be loved pancakes. Loved pancakes. <laughs> uh, we'll have a lot of fun on that. Again, it's Quincy's own Ocean's Eleven. We're going to be talking about that coming up in the next episode of Wild Quincy. Travis, before we leave, I got to ask you, are we missing anything? Only that we want to hear your sweet voices as we're now back for action in season three. Many ways to get a hold of us. You can call us or text us on our voice line at 612-666-9453. You can email us wildquincy at gmail.com or find us on the socials. And we'd love to hear what you've been up to and how you're doing. Sounds like a plan. Remember to give us a text. We love getting those texts. Come straight to our phone. So, again, we'll catch you guys next week for episode two of season three. Uh, you Patreon members, we'll see you next week. But for Travis Hoffman, I'm Chris Ketters, and you've been listening to Wild Quincy. We'll catch you guys next time. Take care, everybody. Wild Quincy is released every other Tuesday and is produced by Chris Ketters and Travis Hoffman. Sound designed by Downdraft Sound and Editing and music by Travis Hoffman Music. I'm Bo Beecraft, and thanks for listening to Wild Quincy. Wild Quincy.